The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Sometimes we feel like we're asking too much of the Lord to bless us yet again. Uh, the Lord's able, and I ask that you pray that He would bless us yet again. Brother Mike yesterday asked me, well, what you been studying? And that's a preacher's way of saying, what's on your mind for this meeting? <laughs> and I told him at, home, at my home church, we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah. And then I also said, but that's not what's on my mind for this weekend. Well, it's on, it's on my mind for this afternoon. So I ask for, that you pray for the Lord's blessings. Uh, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. There's much that could be spoken from this passage. And what has uh, drawn my attention to this book are the many beautiful examples of prayer that are found within its pages. We'll look this afternoon at the prayer that's found in chapter 1. And y'all, this is a prayer that we need to be praying at Lindsay and that I feel has been answered here in Alabama. Uh, and I, I praise the Lord for that. And that's why I was like, you know, I don't think I'll be preaching on this here. But there's some principles of prayer in this first chapter that I think are, are important for us as God's children uh, to understand. Um, and as I was reflecting on this, about halfway through studying through this at our church, it kind of dawned on me why the prayers in Nehemiah mean so much. You know, we read of other saints in, in, in other passages in Scripture who spoke directly with God. Uh, that would be amazing, whether it's Moses and the, the, the flaming bush in speaking with God, or, or Noah who was told to build the ark. I gain a lot of instruction from Nehemiah because you don't see those, if you will, those face-to-face conversations in the same manner. The prayers in Nehemiah seem to be one-sided. Where Nehemiah is doing the speaking, oh, but isn't it evident that the Lord answers his prayers? Not in words, but the Lord answers his prayers. And so with that context, let's look at this first prayer, Nehemiah. And as you're familiar with this passage and this portion of Scripture, Nehemiah receives a word from his brother that... While there's worship yet again at, in uh, Mount Zion, now, the temple is rebuilt, yet those that are seeking to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth are in a state of despair and in a state of, um, of danger because the walls have not been rebuilt. Yeah. And this burden is then placed upon Nehemiah's heart that, and he begins to pray to the Lord about it. And the news that he receives in chapter 3 and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments, 
Let thy ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I prayed before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were out of... Though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost parts of the heaven, yet I will gather them from thence, and I will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people which thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And he begins this uh, prayer, if I remember from my studies, would have been about November of the year. And then he continues this prayer, I believe, until about April of the following year. And until he begins, he has the audience with the king, and he sees that he's sorrowful of heart, and then he prays unto the God of heaven in a very short prayer that we don't even read. And there's a good lesson in that, right? I believe consistent, strong, and steady prayer with the Lord is important. That we would be connected with our Savior. But He's also there in an instant. And when you call upon Him, He is there to hear your words. And in this example of prayer, if if you all pray that, that we might focus on that which is needful for us this day, I believe it's an example of a fervent prayer. In James chapter 5, we're told... That the, fervent, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You notice that's a righteous man. Here's a righteous man and the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What's a fervent prayer? What does it mean to pray unto God fervently? Does that have to be a long prayer? Does that have to be something that, that takes uh, a long time to pray? Or is it something that can be short? I submit to you that, that this is a fervent prayer. The example that's given in James is that of Elijah. And there's actually two examples of a fervent prayer. I, I challenge you to find the first prayer. Because he just says, this is the way it's going to be. The Lord's spoken to me. And yet James records that as a prayer. But the second prayer that's mentioned in James as an effectual, fervent prayer, he prays that the rain would return. And he prays and he sends a servant to go out and look for rain. There's no rain. What What does he do again? He prays again and sends him out seven times. And finally, there's a cloud. And there's rain that's coming. Both prayers are fervent prayers. Right. It's not about the duration of the prayer. But it's about the burden that's upon the heart of the individual. That when God's child cries unto his Savior, the Lord hears that cry and take heeds to his child's plea. That's a fervent prayer. Have you ever been burdened with something in the kingdom of God? 
concerning the kingdom of God. I look back at my life and there's times when I used to wake up in the middle of the night worried about something going on in church or rejoicing over something going on in church. That's a good state to be in. That you have that that weight and that burden to, to continue to pray to the Lord about those matters. And here we see that that he's continued to pray for months about this unto God. And there's this idea that I'd like to address just for a little bit. And and there's actually a parable that Jesus gives about in Luke 18 where we were. There's the idea that if you pray once, you give it to the Lord and you leave it there. And I'll just be honest with you. I can go back to California and hide if if that's needed. (laughs) It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work because I wake up the next morning and whatever it is, it's back on my shoulders. What do you do then? I believe the example of a fervent prayer is you take it back to the Lord. It is an act of faithfulness to continue to take your burdens to the Lord. Amen even if you don't understand why he's not responding. Because he is the only source of help in our distress. Mm -hmm. Continue to take your burdens, even when it feels like he's not listening, even when it feels like he hasn't answered your prayers, continue to take them to the Lord. The example of of this uh, prayer being being faithful, I believe uh, this, if you will, this Continuing to take the Lord to the Lord your burdens and what's upon your heart, whether they're your needs or, or our needs out in California, y'all pray for us as well. But it's a pattern to continue to take them back to the Lord that's found throughout Scripture. Right. That the Lord's people, when there's a need, we continue to, re- to return them back to the Lord. Sometimes uh, we think of different examples like this, and y'all pray for me this, this afternoon. That meal was absolutely wonderful, and the time of fellowship was wonderful, and I'm not, I don't feel like I'm a professional preacher. I feel like I'm one who's trying. You know, I was really encouraged. Um, Elder Philip Conley had, a, had an article out this past week. I'm not going to preach his sermon, but at the end, he gave a good definition for a church and a church motto. And it stuck with me. Sometimes you see churches that are, that are trying to grow and it'll say, come grow with us, right? Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I am. But at the end of his, his letter, he said, come try with us. Amen. We're trying. Amen. Come try with us. Amen. And when I read that, that has just stuck with me and encouraged me. Mm-hmm. You know, the Lord looks upon us trying and he smiles. Amen. <laughs> He's not a heavy taskmaster. And when you get discouraged in your walk of faith, and I get discouraged in my preaching, keep trying because the Lord is merciful and He is gracious to His children that are trying and calling upon His name. And in this prayer, He he continues to pray, and this is upon His heart, um, like other times in God's Word, when you, for instance, when Jacob went and he's about to meet his brother Esau again, who last time he saw Esau, Esau was going to kill him. And so this burden's upon his heart. He stays up all night and it says that he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And you know, the situation didn't change. He was still going to meet his brother Esau. 
But it says that the, that angel touched his thigh and it shrunk. And prayer often isn't about changing God, but it's about changing ourselves. Amen. And it's about preparing ourselves. You know, why did Nehemiah need to keep praying about this for months? Well, it might be that he needed to be prepared as a vessel of God's mercy Amen. for the task that was upon him. And so we continue to pray to the Lord. There's another time when Peter was in prison and the church stays up all night praying about Peter being in prison. And then the one woman, is her name Rhoda? I'm, I'm forgetting her name. Rhoda goes to the door and guess who's there? Peter. I thought that if we didn't pray with 100% faith, that God wouldn't answer that prayer. Have you heard that error? Yeah. Where if you pray and you are confident that it's going to come to pass, well, it'll happen. <laughs> Were they confident Peter would be released? No. Clearly not. Open the door. There's Peter. Must be a ghost, right? Must be a spirit. The answer to our prayers isn't because of our faithfulness. Isn't because of some indwelling faith within us. Now, sometimes it does say in Scripture that ye have not because ye ask not. But when God in His mercy responds, it's because of His goodness towards His children. So let's look at the the prayer of Nehemiah, this fervent prayer. And I just want to glean a few points of this. And Brother Mike was good to get out of the way pretty quick this morning. So I might just be just as good, Brother Mike. Um, Also, Brother Mike, when I got or sat down, I said, do you know the arrangements? And he said, no. He says, but I think you're going, or that I think I'm going to go first again. <laughs> and I said, well, that's not the way that I would set it up. <laughs> and then he said, well, the old people are a lot smarter and the wiles of an older person. I'm misquoting it, brother. You're going to have to get up here and fix it. <laughs> but you're more, say it, is it wily or? Old age and trickery will trump zeal and youth every time. <laughs> But I just want to point out that zeal and youth went first this time. So I'm sorry for that salt in that wound just a little bit. I'm never speaking to you again. I would be crying right now, brother, if that was the truth. Uh. It's good to laugh in the house of the Lord. And I don't want you to think that I take this flippantly. But it's good to be with good people. This prayer, he says, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, fasted, prayed before the God of heaven. I want to point out just a few things about this prayer. First, he quotes Scripture to God. Isn't that interesting? He reminds God of His promises. Does God need to be reminded of His promises? He knows them. But I believe it's faithful to remind Him of them. I believe it's faithful to take them back to Him. And He says that if, and just as Israel had dealt corruptly with them, they were scattered abroad. But He says that, and I skipped part of the prayer that we'll go, come back to 
But he says, remember, I beseech thee the words that thou commandest thy servant Moses. If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep thy, my commandments and do them, though there were, out, there were of you cast from the uttermost parts of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and I will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. That's a promise from the book of Deuteronomy that they were given before they entered into Canaan's land. And this promise is so very precious. And he says this promise applies to their circumstance in that day, in that age. But God doesn't need to be reminded. But prayer isn't just about getting something from God. But it's about communing and fellowshipping with Him. And if you were to write me a letter and we sit down and have a talk about it, I'm going to say, well, don't you remember when you said this or you said that? There's another time that this occurs in Nehemiah, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's so precious. In Nehemiah 9, after they have the wonderful worship service and the walls are rebuilt, and then the priests come forth and, and they, they pray to the God of heaven on behalf of the people, and it takes them through, and I'm not going to... to um, spend this time this afternoon, but it takes them through the history of the Lord's people. From creation all the way to their present circumstance. And it is important today that we see that we are tied to that same history. We're part of that same story. That from creation all the way today, the Lord has been merciful and the Lord has been gracious and His mercy and grace yet continue in our present age and our present day. But it also reminds these people who had experienced great great lifting up and great uh, revival, if you will, in this chapter that, you know, when we're on the mountaintop, it's glorious. There is a valley coming. Oh, yeah. He said, whoa, you just killed the mood. (laughs) You know, I believe it's important in our lives that when we're on the mountaintop, you realize that unless the Lord returns, there will be a valley. Whether it's spiritually or naturally, we will go through another valley. I love singing songs. um, And when you sing songs about the Lord, eventually you end up singing... with the Lord and singing to the Lord. Reminded of Psalm 23 when it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But you know, when he goes down through that passage, he says, Y'all pray for me this afternoon. (laughs) Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You know, in the valleys of life is when we question whether God is with us. When we're praying and we don't hear. We need to preach to ourselves, if you will, and pray to the Lord and take the promise that you have promised to never leave me nor forsake me. And I don't understand why I'm not feeling your presence right now, but you promise that to me. To never leave me nor forsake me. And then have the confidence as David did that his psalm that began about God is now a conversation with God. And he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. 
and thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. That in the mountaintop, but remember, we'll go back to the valley, but guess what? The Lord that was the same on the mountaintop that's with us yet this weekend is just as powerful and mighty in your life when you become discouraged with this time world. Amen. That's an important truth. But it's equally important that when you're in the valley, folks, I've been reminded this weekend that there's a mountain. There's a mountain coming in your life. You say, well, you don't know my circumstance, and it might be downhill from here. If you're a child of God, there is a mountain coming. Amen. Amen. That's right. That's right. David ended that psalm with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. The goodness and the mercy of God doesn't get used up. As a high school teacher, my patients get used up by sixth period. And seventh period, I tell them, my patience is used up from sixth period, so y'all better be good. Our God doesn't operate like that. Where he got, you know, tired of one generation, he doesn't have any mercy or grace for the next. But it continues to each generation. And you know, a beautiful passage and the conclusion that he comes to after they pray this prayer is they make a covenant to the Lord and they commit themselves to the Lord, not because they're so faithful, but they commit themselves to the Lord because they know how faithful and how good God is towards them. And at the end of the the prayer, and I just want to get this because it was so precious to me and share this with you. the end of the prayer, they acknowledge their their circumstance, and they say in verse 36, Nehemiah 9, Behold, we are servants this day, and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins, and also because of the dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. You know, this is, yet, you know, after this great time of revival, they're in great distress, and yet they still have these issues and still have these problems, and I just want to remind you that even after you follow and commit your life to the Lord, you're still going to have issues, and you're still going to have problems. We're going to continue to strive to worship with Him while we're yet sinners. Uh, But I love verse 38. He says, and because of all of this. I believe this is everything in this prayer talking about the repeated faithfulness and mercy of God throughout the ages, but also these present circumstances. And I tell you what, present circumstances can distract you from the worship of the Lord faster than anything. And we all could have come up with an excuse today not to be here. But what I love about this is they talk about all their struggles, their current struggles, and in verse 38, they pray, and because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, our princes, Levites, and priests, and seal unto it. They looked at their difficulties and they said, we realize that there is only one source for help. And because we're struggling, we need the Lord. May we have that that mindset when we're struggling. 
when we're going through those hard things. Don't allow the challenges of, of life to, to drive you further from the Lord, but pray that they might draw you unto Amen. the Lord. So we remind God of His promises. And another portion of the prayer back in chapter 1. <coughs> Brother Mike, I'm going to try to make this point one more and then sit down. But he says, chapter 1, and remember Nehemiah is a man that hasn't been in Jerusalem, I believe, his whole life. Seventy years they were taken out of Israel. And he looks at this and he says, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. And I read this passage and I look and I think, when did Nehemiah sin? He was never in Israel. But isn't that a good perspective to have? Yeah. Yeah. If there's a problem, it's not y'all's fault. Right. We're in this together. Yeah. Amen. Church isn't about you did this and I did this. Right. Church is about we're one body. Amen. And if one part goes astray, we've all gone astray in yeah. some sense. That's right. And that's a lot different approach to take than, well, the problem's with you but I'm okay and I'll pray for you. <laughs> Folks, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. What an amazing prayer it is when he says, his past generation is sure, but I'm part of the yeah. challenge too. Yeah. Most precious part to me in this prayer is verse 10. And there's other things that, that we could speak, and as I'm thinking about this, and I told you one other point, Brother Mike, and I sit down, and it might be two, and you say, well, that's not wise, because preachers aren't supposed to lie. Uh, but I've heard preachers all over do it. I'll make two more points. <laughs> he ends the prayer kind of strangely. Where's in Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs> He says, for I was the king's cupbearer. I've heard it put this way, that every prayer for a good crop, you should say the amen with your hands on the plow. <laughs> and when you see that challenges come up, and by the way, when you follow the Lord, there's still going to be challenges that come yeah, up. Amen. He would pray to the Lord and then he'd get back to work. Amen. And he would pray to the Lord again and he would get back to work. Right. And that's the attitude that we should have in prayer. Yeah. That it's not, we prayed about it, so we don't need to do anything about it, but we can pray to the Lord and then get back that's, to work. That's right. And he says this amazing thing. He says, now these, verse 10, we'll close with this. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. Have you ever wondered why the Lord heeds our prayer? Some will look at the example in James of Elijah, and that's an amazing example, is it not? You know, Elijah was a great man, wasn't he? He called down fire from heaven. But Scripture says he wasn't a great man. 
He was a man of like passions, just like you and just like me. Why does the Lord hear and answer our prayer? Because we are His. Amen. Maybe I flew all the way to California to remind you of that. Amen. The Lord listens to your prayer because you're His people. This really causes me to think about how we're eternally saved. Because some will say that it's through a prayer. Why would the Lord listen to your prayer? (laughs) What confidence do you have to pray to God that He would listen to such a worm as I? But He hears your prayer because He's already redeemed you. You've already been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. If God in His mercy and His love for you sent His only begotten Son in this world to die upon the cross for your sins and for mine, why wouldn't He take notice of the burden and the care that is upon your heart? If He's willing to give His only begotten Son for you, why wouldn't he heed the words on your mind? Amen. Stealing this picture from someone else. I told you that it doesn't work for me. Just pray to the Lord and give it up. Out here in, in Alabama, I heard you all do fishing. Oh, Had yeah. some crappie, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> in California, we really do the fishing there. Y'all don't fish out here. Y'all catch out here. You catch fish. We toss out the line and there's not much in the water, at least where I'm around. And we keep fishing. Scripture tells us to cast all your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. What do you do when you don't catch a fish? You cast again. That's right. And you cast Again, when the burden comes back upon your heart, keep taking it back to the Lord. Keep casting it back upon Him. And that is an act of faithfulness. Even the Apostle Paul did it. He and his life had a thorn in his flesh. Whatever it was, it's a problem that kept bothering him. And what did he do? He kept taking it back to the Lord and kept praying about it. He prayed three times about it and he got an answer. It wasn't the one he was looking for, but he received an answer. And a lot of times in life, I believe this is the answer we receive. I'm not going to take away the thorn, Paul. But my grace is sufficient for thee. We believe as a people in the grace of God, do we not? That's our hope for glory, but I want to admonish you, it's also our hope for here. That's right. God's grace is so sufficient, it saved us from heaven. Can it not save us yet here in this time? Is it not? that which we stand in need of here in this life. And he told Paul through his fervent prayer, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I appreciate your kind attention this afternoon. Pray for Brother Mike as he comes before us. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.